Chapter One of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter One. After Six Years. Mrs. Burnham stood by the west window of the long, low-ceilinged room, looking out into the grim and desolate twilight. The day had been rainy, the clouds having hung low and gray ever since the early morning, and the faint gleams of crimson and gold with which the west had tried to lighten the scene just at sunset had been quickly overcast, and gray mist was fast enveloping the earth once more. On the street were to be seen only the hurrying umbrellas of a few belated people, and the fast-moving water from overcharged gutters by the roadside. Certainly nothing in the prospect need have held Mrs. Burnham's steady gaze, yet she stood quite still and looked outward with far-reaching eyes that did not seem to see what was spread before them. She was not alone. A small boy in kilts and curls hovered restlessly from her side to the grate, to the south window, to the niche which held the piano where the firelight made fantastic shadows, back to her side again, ever steadily plying her with questions the while. Mama, isn't it time to light the gas? Mama, why don't Seraph and Minta come? Mama, can you see Papa coming down the street? Mama, isn't it almost time for dinner? Oh, Mama, won't you please not look out the window any more and come and amuse your little boy? He's so tired. With the last appeal, Mrs. Burnham turned, a faint smile appearing on her pale, grave face. Is my little boy's tongue tired? she asked. Mama doesn't wonder if it is, you have kept it so busy today. But she moved from the window, waiting only to draw the curtains close, then crossing the room with the boy by the hand, dropped into an easy chair in front of the fire, which suddenly shot up gleams of light, revealing the fair head of the child as he leaned against her knee. His thoughts had taken a new turn. Mama, tongues don't get tired like hands and feet, do they? and they don't have to be washed and have clothes put on them. Wouldn't it be a funny thing if they had to wear clothes? He laughed merrily at the queerness of his own conceit, and the mother smiled on him and played lovingly with the curls about his head. But after a moment it was almost as trying to the child as the position by the window had been, for she fixed her steady gaze on the fire and seemed to go on with thoughts which were apart from him. To his great satisfaction there was an interruption in the shape of a quick tread down the hall. The door swung open, and Judge Burnham appeared, being greeted by the boy with a shout of delight. "'Blooming in the dark?' he asked, as he came forward and touched his lips lightly to his wife's cheek. "'What is the matter with the gas? Young gentleman, why didn't you light the gas for your mother?' This to the happy boy, who was promptly perched on his shoulder and, under instructions, flooded the room with soft yellow light. A beautiful room it was. Evidences of cultured taste and unlimited means were apparent on every hand. A long room, which might perhaps have looked narrow, had not its length been broken into here and there by graceful alcoves and niches, carpeted in tints of green which bordered on the yellow just enough to suggest the sun at its setting, reveling in couches and easy-chairs and low rockers, and abounding in books and magazines and the late papers. A perfect home room, not stately nor elegant, 
only easy and graceful. The gaslight revealed more plainly the pallor of the lady's face, and her husband, who studied her closely for a moment, seemed to notice it. "'Are you well tonight, Ruth? I believe you look paler than ever.' "'As well as usual, thank you.' Her voice was low and quiet, composed rather than cheerful. "'The weather is wretched enough to make people feel miserable.' he said, standing with his back to the glowing grate, and bringing the boy to a sitting posture on his shoulder. And you keep housed up altogether too much for your health. Where are the girls? They went to Madame Reno's reception. They did, spoken in a slightly startled tone. With whom? They went quite alone, Judge Burnham. I was given to understand that such was your pleasure. The husband laughed slightly. Well, hardly my pleasure. I should prefer, of course, that they have company. I had forgotten that this was the afternoon for the reception. However, I could not have left the office today if I had remembered. And since you did not go, of course I suppose there was nothing left for them but to go alone. Mrs. Burnham looked up at him half-deprecatingly, then gave a significant glance at the deep black of her dress. You surely did not expect me to attend the reception, Judge Burnham? The sentence closed with the rising inflection, yet had hardly the tone of a question. The judge turned on his heel with a gesture that might have meant impatience, opened his mouth as if to speak, then seemed to think better of it. After a moment came this sentence with a half-laugh. No, I cannot be said to have expected it, with a marked emphasis on the word expected, what I may have desired is another question. Has this boy been out today? The boy answered for himself. No, Papa, it has been an ugly east wind all day, and Mamma was afraid of my cough. Nonsense! You haven't enough cough to hurt a mosquito. You coddle him altogether too much, Ruth. You will have him as frail as a lily. He was quite hoarse this morning, Judge Burnham. The mother's voice was almost beseeching now, but the husband did not notice it. What if he was? A child has to breathe even when hoarse, and to breathe heated air all day vitiates the blood and weakens the lungs. Get your coat and hat, my boy, and I'll take a run with you on the piazzas. That will be better than nothing. As he spoke, he placed the little fellow on his feet, but the child, instead of running, turned anxious eyes on his mother and hesitated. I'm afraid it will worry Mamma, and I can stay in the house a whole week if she wants me to. Nonsense, in a sharp tone now. Get your hat at once. It is not necessary for you to decide these questions. Then Mrs. Burnham's voice, lower than before, quiet and perfectly controlled. Don't keep Papa waiting, Erskine. Your little coat is in the lower drawer in Papa's dressing room, the gray one, dear. It was a heavier garment than had been worn as yet this fall, and Judge Burnham laughed at the boy for getting bundled up like a little old man when he came back presently robed in the gray coat. "'I suppose you will not come with us,' he said, his hand on the doorknob. Mrs. Burnham shook her head and smiled. "'Not tonight, thank you. I don't like the east wind. It seems to me unusually penetrating.' That is because you have toasted yourself beside a coal fire all day. Then the door closed and she was alone. She sat still, staring straight into that coal fire with wide-open grave eyes, 
staring away beyond the fire, seeing images that drew no smile to her face, listening the while to the boy's merry voice, broken by an occasional cough, as with rapid feet he tried to keep up with his father's long strides. The dinner bell pealing through the house interrupted the promenaders, and at the same moment a carriage returned the young ladies to their own door. A little later, and the family gathered in the dining-room. If you have read Ruth Erskine's Crosses, you probably remember the first family gathering in the Burnham dining-room. If you do not, may I ask that you will look up the book and glance over its history, that you will have the pleasure of contrasting the two scenes? A more marked contrast, having to do with the same house and the same people, could hardly be imagined. Yet I call it the same house more from courtesy than reality. The framework was the same, and the old-fashioned ceilings were the same, but the house had been added to and taken from, until Mrs. Ferris, whom you will possibly remember, recognized it no longer as the old place. An L had been built on here, and a bay window thrown out there, and a side porch added to the south door, and broad piazzas surrounded the house. Within, windows reaching to the floor, and paint and paper and furniture, had so changed the original scene that the dining-room of the present, though having the same floor as the one that belonged to the past, had no other external that was the same. A lovely dining-room, with the table set with every possible modern appointment, and served by a trained waiter with exquisite care. To these things Ruth Burnham had been used all her life. But of the three she was really much less fastidious than were the young ladies, Miss Seraph and Miss Minta. What pretty girls they were! Mrs. Burnham, glancing at them across the table, could not help thinking so at this moment. Graceful, well-bred, faultlessly dressed in the very extreme of fashionable attire, and voluble after the fashion of society young ladies, over the last excitement of the day. And Papa, that young Pole was there whom we met at the Harpers, you remember. Seraph made quite a sensation promenading with him. I assure you she was the center of all eyes. That is not surprising, Judge Burnham said, bestowing an admiring glance on the tall, graceful girl, with a wealth of reddish-yellow hair arranged with reference to the latest ideas concerning hair, which ideas chanced to be very becoming to her face. She received her sister's charge and her father's compliment with equal composure. It was all because of the pole, Papa. If I hadn't been honored with his attentions, I should have been lost to view entirely. Minta was the favorite most of the afternoon. That massive Dr. Dorchester, who offers compliments much as an elephant might, assured me that your sister is even more brilliant than usual today, and that is unnecessary. The brilliant young sister, whose bright eyes flashed fun and fire at once, went off into a series of graceful little giggles over this ponderous compliment. Papa, I didn't say a witty thing this afternoon. I was studiedly stupid, and they laughed over the stupidest things as though they were very amusing. I do think people can be the silliest when they get certain ideas into their minds. You see what it is to have a reputation, my daughter. Nothing could be fuller of satisfied pride than Judge Burnham's tones. Indeed, it would not have needed close observation to discover that this father was both fond and proud of his two beautiful daughters. Whether he occasionally remembered the frights they were when he brought home his bride, 
barely six years ago, is doubtful. Men forget so soon and so entirely when it is convenient and satisfactory to do so. Yet remembering, I am not sure that he would have thought it very surprising. He might have looked upon it as an altogether natural and to be expected development from daughters belonging to the Burnham name and blood. Fifteen and seventeen very often give little hint of what twenty-one and twenty-three will be. Mrs. Burnham, however, remembered, recalled often, vividly and in detail, the picture of those two uncouth, ill-dressed, ill-shaped, frightened girls as they came to her in the rag-carpeted front room not quite six years ago. She thought of it to-night, some sudden motion of the head by the beauty, Miss Minta, a motion peculiar to her, extreme in its awkwardness once, softened into an actual charm now, recalled to Mrs. Burnham the hour and the scene in all its embarrassing details, and she did what Judge Burnham in these days never thought of doing in connection with his daughters. She drew a long, low sigh. The dinner-table talk went on in much the same strain that I have indicated. Who were at the reception, who were conspicuous by their dress or their manner, what the Harpers thought of the entertainment, why the Tremaines were not there, and a dozen other trifles discussed with a zest which belongs only to society lovers. Always the talk was addressed to Papa. Throughout the meal, Mrs. Burnham was almost entirely silent, answering the remarks addressed to her by her husband, only in quiet monosyllables. Not apparently, however, for any other reason than because the remarks themselves called for no other answer, these being confined almost exclusively to questions as to whether she would have more of this or that delicacy. She gave careful attention to Erskine's wants, but did not talk even with him. This, however, was not noticeable, for the boy had been taught to be almost entirely silent at the table, and he was apparently absorbed in listening to and enjoying his pretty sisters. Before the second course was concluded, Miss Seraph examined her watch with an exclamation of dismay. "'I did not know it was so late. Papa, we must call on the Forsythes for a moment to-night. Tremaine is to leave town to-morrow morning. I told him we would call. Now, Papa dear, don't frown. You really must be the victim to-night. Horace Wells wanted to call for us, but Minta gave him such a decided negative that he didn't dare to say anything about it to me. Well, he is such a bore, Papa. I would much rather have you. Thank you, Judge Burnham said with a low bow and an amused smile. I am not disposed to frown, young ladies. I am quite willing to attend you. I suppose, Ruth, there is no use in asking you to join us? Another of those sentences closing with the rising inflection yet spoken in a tone which makes a negative reply almost a necessity. Oh, no, thank you. I will remain with Erskine. Miss Seraph laughed. What a question, Papa! I should almost as soon expect one of the marble busts in the library to go out with you as Mama. Oh, Mama, that reminds me. Dr. Westwood asked today if you were going into a decline, that you were seen so little in society. Yes, and I was guilty of the only pun I made this afternoon, chimed in Miss Minta. I told him you had quite declined society of late, that that was all the decline we knew of. Judge Burnham did not laugh at this, but bestowed a somewhat sharp, searching look on Ruth's pale face, where a little touch of crimson was glowing now. 
Is Joan disabled, that she cannot have the care of Erskine? he asked, and there was a curious sharpness in his voice. Joan? Oh, no, but I do not choose to leave Erskine with her, you know. Shall we adjourn to the library, Judge Burnham? A few moments more and the father and daughters had departed, leaving mother and son alone together. The boy was very quiet and sweet and loving, exerting all his small powers for the manifest purpose of entertaining his mother. And she smiled on him and allowed herself to be entertained. It was when he was settled in his lace-canopied crib in the lovely pink room which opened out from Ruth's lovely blue one, that he put up his small hand and patted her cheek and said, Dear Mama, did it worry you to have me go and walk tonight? I couldn't help it, you know, and I'll try not to cough. I wouldn't have gone if I could have helped it. Mrs. Burnham stooped and kissed the full sweet lips and held the caressing hand in a sudden strong grasp but her voice was quick and firm. Of course not, my little foolish boy. It is always right to obey Papa. Good night, my darling. She went away from him at once, out into the blue room, and sat down before the open grate, and let her hands drop idly in her lap, and let great hot tears plash down on the hands. There must be no tears before the large-eyed boy, but there was no one to watch her now. End of chapter 1. Recording by Tricia G.